So the reading this evening is from Lamentations 3, and I'm reading verses 19 to 26. I remember my affliction and my wanderings, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, I say to myself. The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Thank you, Carol, very much indeed. So hope against all odds. We're thinking particularly tonight of those situations that, humanly speaking, may seem utterly hopeless. And it's just possible that that is where you are right now. Or you may have been there in the past, or you may know someone else who is in this place, or you may find that God brings you alongside someone who is in this place. And it's important that we know how to deal with it. What do you do? What do you say when you're faced with a situation that seems utterly hopeless? We say that God is a God of hope. We say that there is always hope. But at times that can feel just a little bit hollow. When faced with an illness and the doctors say that there's nothing else that they can do. When suddenly confronted with unemployment in a situation where it's not easy to find another job. In an unexpected breakdown of a marriage. In a situation where everything seems to have crumbled and you're left homeless in a place of escalating debt. Here is a section of the Old Testament which addresses these and other situations in a very helpful manner. And for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, and most of you I know here tonight are, then I'm sure the words that Carol read to you will not be new. This is a section of lamentations that you will have come across before. There are some fine phrases within it. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. There are many songs that have been inspired by these words. But I wonder how much you know about Lamentations as a book and the circumstances that sit around these particular words. Because I think if we understand that, then these words will stand out, not just as empty words, but as something very powerful indeed. And so we think, first of all, of the book of Lamentations as a well-constructed lament. Each of the chapters of Lamentations is a well-crafted poem. Now, if we were in the place that we would have been a number of years ago, where often congregations would sit there with their physical Bibles open and have a look at Bibles, I know we don't generally do that now, but uh, if you were to do that tonight, 
with Lamentations, and you flip through the pages of Lamentations, you look at chapter 1, you'll find that it's got 22 verses in it. You look at chapter 2, you find it's got 22 verses in it. You look at chapter 4, you find it's got 22 verses in it. You look at chapter 5, and you find it's got 22 verses in it. Does that very often happen in the Bible? What's going on here? These are all acrostic poems. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 consonants in it. And each verse of those four chapters of Lamentations begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's what you would call an acrostic poem. Someone has sat down and crafted these words. They're not just a spontaneous rant. They are something that has been shaped and thought about using each successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That's true of chapters 1, 2, 4, and 5. You look at chapter 3. How many verses in chapter 3? Breaks the pattern, I'm afraid. There are 66. So what's going on here? 22. Mathematicians among you, 66. Three verses for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet in Lamentations chapter 3. And if you look at Lamentations, you're all going to go and find a Bible now, aren't you? You're going to have a look at it. Lamentations chapter 3, if you look at it, 1, 2, and 3 are grouped together in a paragraph. 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Three verses each with the same letter of the alphabet, and it moves through in that kind of way. But the point of all that is quite simply that there is something here that has been shaped, that it has been thought through. And the subject is the nation Israel, but it's expressed as a person. So when you read Lamentations, you feel as if you're reading about a person who is expressing pain. But actually that person is representing the nation. The nation Israel are lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem, that their special city has been destroyed. They're lamenting the loss of the temple, the focus of their worship, and very much the focus of the presence of God, it's gone. And they're stuck in exile in Babylon, which they know in part is due to their own failures or the failure of previous generations who had not followed the ways of the Lord. But there they are grieving their situation. And the negative analogies in Lamentations chapter 3 are heaped one on top of another. It takes a little concentration to read these. But here is someone who, in this poetic expression, is feeling the pain. I'll just take one or two examples, all from chapter 3. Verse 4, he has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He's made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. Graphic expressions. Take another triplet. Verse 10. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. The next lament. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became a laughing stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He's filled me with bitter herbs, sated me with gall. And so we come towards the beginning of the passage that Carol read. 
I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them. My soul is downcast within me. Indeed, these telling words really are summed up in verse 17. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. My splendor is gone. And all that I had hoped for from the Lord. Do you feel the pain of the Israelite nation as it's expressed in these words? Everything's been taken away. It's as if they're a laughing stock. It's as if they're exposed to the attack of the lions. It's as if their bones are broken and their bodies are spent. My splendor is gone. All that I'd hoped for from the Lord has been taken away. Feel the pain of the Israelite nation in this moment. It links to Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept. No temple, no city, no home, no identity. Everything is in a mess. There are people who are in that place today. Many of you read stories from regions of the Middle East and places in Africa where there are those whose circumstances are desperate. There are stories of poverty and deprivation in India. Here in this country, there are those where everything has suddenly crashed. And once living in relative prosperity and comfort, people find themselves now on the streets. Sometimes the consequence of human error, but often through no fault of their own. There are people who've encountered deep suffering. I'm sure that many of you, if not identifying with this in any small way in your own challenges of life, will also be able to think of others who have been deeply challenged. I think of someone younger than me living in Enfield at the moment, twice bereaved. I knew her first husband very well. We often met together. He had a long and debilitating illness of cancer. It was a tough funeral to take. And then I knew her second husband well. And we shared the joy of their romance. And it was such a huge shock when he died so suddenly a few months ago. And I think of this person twice bereaved, younger than me. All that I had hoped for from the Lord has not come into being. Feel the pain. That is the setting for these words. And it is against that backdrop that we read here in verses 30, uh, 21, 22, 23. Yet this I call to mind. Therefore I have hope. What could possibly bring hope into this situation? This is what brings hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. Great is your faithfulness. The Hebrew term for the steadfast love of the Lord is heshet. It means a covenant love. It means that God cannot and will not give up on his people. There is a certainty about God's presence. 
Harrison's commentary on these words. The unchanging constancy of God furnishes a firm ground for the tentative outreachings of hope for the future. Tentative. Because God doesn't promise that he's suddenly going to turn the situation round. But he does promise his covenant love. Now it's very hard to see that in the depth of suffering. But this is an expression of the faithfulness of God. That though there are things that happen in this world that we never understand, and though there are things that happen that cause us often to question, often to doubt, and certainly come to the place where we stand, as it were, by the rivers of Babylon and weep, nevertheless we have a God who will never let go of his people. Great is your faithfulness. It is deeply within the character of God to remain faithful to his people. You can see how much of this text has inspired the worship material that we often see. It's God's word and God's spirit that are the key to hope. It's not based on the circumstances nor even necessarily on the change in circumstances. It's based on the way in which God is able to enter into those circumstances and breathe his faithfulness and his constant love. It's based on the character of God. The cross is the strongest evidence of hope against all odds because everything there seemed hopeless, didn't it? Seemed as if Jesus became a victim of those who were against him. And yet that moment of seemingly hopelessness was actually the biggest moment of hope the world has ever known. And that cry from the cross, it is finished, was not a cry of despair, everything is over, but a cry of victory, it has been accomplished. You see, the Lord is committed to his people, whatever happens in life. He doesn't promise an easy ride. But we can promise a God who is there in the darkness, who extends his love and compassion to us, just as Jesus from the cross cried out, Father, forgive. They don't know what they're doing. And a promise of the way through, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Some of you know that my brother, Phil, has been uh, in ministry for something in the region of 40 years, retired just a couple of years ago. And uh, the first thing that he did after he retired, after taking a little bit of a break, was that he wrote a book. And it's just been published. It's called Keep Faith Growing. <coughs> to some extent, it's a reflection on 40 years of church leadership. But it's a reflection that puts the emphasis on keeping faith alive and on growing that faith rather than putting the focus on growing the church. He writes about communicating with God through his word and through prayer. He writes about the curiosity for those things which challenge us and perplex us, including the huge question of suffering which can so often be a stumbling block to faith. 
And then he writes about making connections with other people, both within the church and beyond it. Phil has known some tough moments along the way in his life and in his ministry. And God has sustained his faith very strongly and inspired him in this first year of his retirement to write such a valuable book. This I call to mind, therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And just a final thought from these words. The lamentation goes on to say, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of our God. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of our God. The river of Babylon became for the Israelite nation a place of renewed faith and hope. And that place of darkness can become for us and for others a place of renewed faith and hope when we sit quietly and wait for the salvation of the Lord our God.